Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. This is episode two of Bike Tour Adventures and today I'm talking with Finn Madden, a Canadian teacher I met while living in Sweden. Not only is Finn an avid road and mountain biker, but he also has some interesting stories to share about cycling around Europe on a Brompton. More recently, Finn has been involved in various fundraising events for good causes, participating in the Everest Challenge, and other long-distance rides. Finn, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Hey, Chris. How's it going, man? It's been a while. It's been a long time, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, just so listeners can uh, know who Finn Madden is. Uh, yeah, so I'm a Irish-Canadian. Sadly, I got the wrong accent, but what are you going to do about it? I've been living and teaching overseas now for, Jesus, almost 16 years. Uh, started in South Korea. Uh, when I first moved there, you know, used to be a mountain biker and that as a kid, back before suspension was invented. Bashing around on my old mm-hmm. Sears, uh, can't believe her break, 16 speed, 15 speed. And then got an 18 speed when, uh, <clears throat> you know, things got, technology got good. Quick fire shifters and nice. great old bike. I had grip shifts. I was, I was impressed. Oh, man. No, see, that I got mine the year before that. So I got the proper freaking shifters. Thank God they've gone back to that, eh? Grip shift. Um, yeah. Then I moved to South Korea. When we first got there, I went there with my buddy Dave. Um, and when we first got there, we borrowed bikes because we were like, yeah, you know, this is going to be, you know, get some bikes and do a lot of cycling here. And we did one bike ride across the city. And it was probably the single most epic, dangerous, I wish GoPros had been invented. There was, you know, like almost got hit by a police car on the sidewalk. <laughs> Two guys walking out of an alley with the, the, the giant piece of glass between them that you almost rode into, like, like cartoonish. And like <laughs> in Korea at that time, you know, they, they didn't have like they had curbs to the sidewalk, but they didn't dip down. It was just like a half meter high jump you had to make. And then you had to pick the bike up and, and it was just absolute madness riding across. We did maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 K across the city and back. What city and were we you in? Back. Wilson? Is it Wilson? Yeah. Wilson. So South, Southwest, just north of Busan. And we came back and we we're just like, no way, no way am I riding a bike here. So we went out and bought mopeds. Got scooters, and that was the next six years. Was ended up on a motorbike, and life was good. Lots of accidents, hit by seven cars, and then uh, I turned thirty, and I started to like not be in shape anymore. And I was just like, "What the hell is happening to me?" So I went out and went out and bought a bike, and uh, started riding again. Oh wow! Started running, riding, 
You were still in uh, Korea at the time then, right? Yeah, still in Korea. I barely drove my motorbike the last two years, really. Lent it to a friend and, and spent most of my time on a, ended up with a pretty nice mountain bike. Started riding a lot. Got to know a guy in a shop there who's really good, Jung Yoon. But, uh, He's, uh, OMK. Mm-hmm. OMK Bikes. OMK Bikes. Do that yeah. as a shout out. We'll post a link. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's, uh, he's sponsored me in a couple of events I've done since. Still came to my wedding. Um, yeah. So started riding there and then got a nice mountain bike from him. Went back, finished up in Korea. Broke up with the girlfriend there. Went back to Canada, did teacher's college. Found out how impossible it was to teach in Canada. Yeah. Look, so, I'm looking so far to go back. Yeah. Moved to <laughs> And then when I was in Egypt, my uh, my first year in Egypt, I decided I was going to do a bike tour in Europe. And, uh, excuse me, tried to, uh, I bought a bike there, a Chinese cyclocross sort of thing. It was pretty sketchy. And uh, my buddy Jung Yoon from Korea, he came to visit me with friends and I organized the whole trip for them. And Egypt isn't super high tech, so I paid for their whole trip before they came, you know, flights and stuff. And then he paid me back and, uh, he and his, his wife and his wife, buddy and his wife, they all brought Bromptons with them. And, uh, Jung Yoon ran out of cash and he owed me another 700 bucks. And I was like, you know, instead of paying me cash, you could just, you know, give me that Brompton you've got right there in your suitcase. And he was like, Oh, this is like my fucking bike, man. I've upgraded it. It's, you know, it's, and I was like, well, there's not really a bank machine around here. And he was like, okay, fine. You know, you just take the Brompton. That works. Oh, nice. I do own a bike shop. Score. So I uh, got, got a Brompton. And then they busted off back to Korea. And then I decided to do this bike tour. And then I was like, shit, my 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 bike my is in Canada with my panniers. And, you know, it had a rack and panniers and stuff ready to go. Because I planned to do a Southeast Asia tour. Um, but I ended up getting another job. And long story short, I didn't do it. But I was going to do Hanoi to um, Singapore was the plan. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, with this mountain bike that, you know, so I had it set up. I had Ort Liebs and good racks. I still have the bike rack for it, actually, on my commuter now. And um, so then I was like, shit, I want to do a bike tour, but I don't have a bike. I've got a Brompton. And my buddy sitting across the desk from me is like, why don't you just Google it? So I Googled, can you ride 100K in a day on a Brompton? And... The answer was yes. So did some research, found the the rather hilariously named Brompton Tea Bag. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got tea bagged, got the bike, flew to Dublin where my dad lives, or just outside of Dublin. And uh, he pulled a bike out of an old dumpster, or pulled an old bike out of a dumpster, fixed it up a bit, and he came with me. And we started off doing 75, 80K days. He's at this time he was like 67, 68 years old. And uh, by the time we hit France, we were doing 100K days. The longest day we did together was 120K. Oh, nice. As, as, yeah, yeah. He's a fit guy. I Halfway through the trip, the bike he was on was really starting to make noises and starting to get miserable. It was one of those old, you know, those Y frame full suspension Walmart bikes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was one of those. And he was doing 100K days on that. And it was just getting miserable. The crank was bent. So we, we went to a decathlon, spent 100 euros and got him a half-decent commuter bike. 
12 speed or whatever 16 speed so uh he rode we rode to the hook of holland just outside of rotterdam together so we did i think 1500k together he took the ferry back to the uk and then back to ireland and then i headed inland and ended up riding i went to hanover just south of hanover in germany mm-hmm. where i have a friend stayed with him for a week did some mountain biking because what would you do on your first day off on a bike tour is bike. <laughs> go mountain biking <laughs> And uh, then I headed long way around. I didn't have any good maps. Germany is really weird for bike touring because it's it's brilliant. It's set up for bike touring. Germans bike tour like mad. You get German pep, but you can identify what ethnicity people are in Europe by their bike touring setup. Okay. You can tell it ger- like Germans because they'll have matching Ortliebs of different colors and they have the full kit. So like if you see like a husband and wife and one person has like perfect red ortlieb set and the other person has a perfect yellow ortlieb set just be like guten tag and they'll be like oh guten morgen because german <laughs> whereas swiss ride with like this big pile of shit the french will ride anything but generally it's a nice bike that they've just tied shit to for touring um but yeah it's really weird because you get to know the ethnicity but germany is great but they only do like all, it's all set up on rivers so it's all like week long or, or weekend bike tours and they've got great maps but they don't connect and there's no like national map. So I ended up buying like a map for the north of Germany, just like an auto map. And I was trying to get to Switzerland. And I was like, fuck, this map doesn't even have Switzerland on it. And I was like, well, the Rhine goes to Switzerland. So I just left my buddy's place and just rode south until I hit the Rhine. And the Rhine actually has great bike t- touring on it, which I didn't know. I met a Swiss dude. I was biking, you know, down on the Brompton, hammering away. And this guy rides up next to me. He's like, excuse me, uh, can I ask you a question? I was like, sure, mate. What is it? He's like, how are you going so fast on such a little piece of shit like that? I was like, <laughs> hey, that's not a piece of shit. And he was like, okay, but still, how are you doing 35 kilometers an hour? And I was like, that's uh, really good gear ratio, I guess. I try to explain that to people all the time. They're like, how do you climb mountains on such a small wheel? Because I have a folding bike now too, right? And they're like, oh, they just don't get it. And it's like, Gearing. No, I mean the the Brompton's not a great climber. I had to put a double front crank on it, so I put a inner ring, like a thirty two ring, on the front. I'd shift with my toes, which is a big ghetto. But um, I mean, I handled the Alps on that. I met this guy Nikolai, so we ended up we did about a week together. Got into the Alps. I learned a very good thing to know about the Swiss that if it doesn't have a glacier on top, they don't consider it to be a mountain. Oh. So you can do like a thousand meter climb in, in Switzerland. That's not a, hill. a mountain. That's just a hill. Because if it doesn't have a glacier, it's a hill. So we did an 800 meter climb together and we got to the top and he's like, oh man, I think we went the wrong way. So we had to go to the bottom again. We got to the bottom and he's like, he talks to a guy. He's like, oh no, that was the right way. We had to go back up this 800 meter oh, climb again. Nikolai, I've got some. I've got something to help you get to the top of the climb. If I catch you, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, Switzerland was amazing. The climbs were were epic, but you know the Brompton handled them well. I wasn't fast. It was incredible for riding and really good. Like they have signs that say cyclists uh, over the next ten kilometers, you will be climbing at six six percent eleva- elevation gain. And the only problem was they have um, and they have brilliant. They have a national map for bike routes. So I started off on cycling route number two and things started to get really, really rough. So I was on these like really tough gravel roads and you're bombing down these like alpine gravel roads on a Brompton. And this, I had the single caliper brakes on at that time, which were terrible. And I discovered after my third day that I had lost cycling route number two and I was on national mountain bike route number two. (laughs) 
But it also shows the versatility of a Brompton that I did two days of national mountain bike route number two in Switzerland. Is that where the trip I, ended in Switzerland or did you keep going? No, I, I uh, went to Munich. I, I ended up doing four countries in one day by lunch. I did Switzerland, uh, Liechtenstein, Austria, and Germany and had lunch in Germany. So it's a pretty good day. Fun days. Um, but I ended up uh, meeting another friend in Munich and then we biked together through Austria, Hungary, and into Slovenia. So I ended up 11 countries, 5,400 kilometers in two months. How many, sorry, 11 countries? 11 countries, 5,400 kilometers in two months. And that was with a week off in Germany. And I repeated that the next year. The next year, or was it the next year? Yeah, the next year I was living in Sweden, and mm-hmm. I biked from Sweden to Spain. Well, I biked from Sweden to Ireland with ferries, obviously. Sailed with my dad and some friends. Oh, I remember you talking about that, yeah. On an old fishing boat to Spain. But his buddy, like who is the captain, halfway through the sailing, he's like, yeah, because originally we were going to sail to the French-Spanish border, and I was going to bike back to Sweden. And halfway through the sailing trip, he's like, yeah, I've decided we're going to go to the, the westernmost tip of Spain instead. So at this point, my old man had a folding bike as, as well. He had a Dahan. So he and I had our bikes on. And we biked all across northern Spain together. Oh, very And cool. my Strava didn't work super well at that time because uh, of charging the phone and that. But we were averaging about 75K a day and 2,500 meters of climbing. But that was my dad was 69 on a six-speed folding bike, and he was climbing 2,500 meters a day. Nice. Guy's in shape. Yeah. He, he was not happy with me, though. He was like, this is not fun. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't. We're supposed to be in France right now, man. Like, we're supposed to be in Bordeaux. This was not my plan. This was your buddy's plan, man. Don't don't blame me for the mountains. So on your trip across, um, on your trip across Europe, how did you carry everything? Brompton, man. Uh, Just the, front the tea bag? bag? Tea bag, and then I had the tent, and what did I also have on the back? I had the tent on the seat post, just bungee to the seat post. Okay. And I had my food bag on top of the tea bag. So I had a small backpack that I would ride in a town with or whatever, and, um, you know, like a day bag. And I would just clip that onto the, the tea bag. Did you take Gogi with you? No, no. She didn't do any of the long tours with me. She didn't do the Spanish tour or the uh cross europe tour she was with friends okay just for She's listen, done listeners just for listeners gogi means meat his dog is named kegogi which is dog meat and he got it that's a what is it a cho- and what kind of dog is it shih tzu it's shih tzu. a shih tzu and you got her in korea right yeah yeah she's been with me for 14 years now she's a bit blind but she's loving life she's still doing great and she she rides in the backpack so she used to ride on the motorbike and she's done a lot of I think her longest day on the bike is 150k, just sitting in the bag. It's impressive. She loves it. Yeah, she's a weird one. So um, riding a folding bike is not really much slower than a regular bike when it comes to touring, I presume. No, I'd say when I'm by myself on the folding bike, I think if you looked at total mileage, and that's five, 6,000k. No, sorry, because there's Spanish trips. That's 54 Call it 7,500K, 8,000K of touring. And I would say I average 21 to 22K an hour. So it's pretty standard. Is, yeah, it's not remarkable when you compare it to road biking. I mean, you know, you're not going to win the Tour de France with that. But when you're knocking off a decent day, that, that goes pretty well. 
you know, I, I, I when I'm by myself, I have the rule of trying to hit 75k before lunch. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you shouldn't be eating until you've hit 75k. Some days that's not possible. You know, if you're in the mountains or something. But and then I I'm usually off the bike by five. You know, I've you know I've stayed in a million campgrounds across Europe, and I see a lot of bike tourists coming in at eight nine o'clock at night. And it's a little bit late. Like, you need to rest a bit. Yeah, man. What are you doing? Like, fuck. I want the set tent set up by tent set up and eating dinner by six and beer in bed by nine. Like absolutely enjoy the shower if you're at a campground on the Spanish trip as well. I, I did a thousand K in a week on the Brompton and that trip. That was, that was less pleasant because I was pushing to get back. I was in the low countries, you know, Northern France and in the belt trying, trying to get back to Sweden, but the extra Spain of the trip put me out. So I, I ended up biking back to the middle of the Netherlands where I had friends and then I took the train. I had about four days to go and I was like, I could do if I did like 180k days. And then I was like, oh man, why am I I'll killing myself? Train. Yeah, like what's this isn't fun. Like this just 140, 140, because I think you have to 143.5 k's a day and it just started to wear. There's no fun in that. Bike turns. You want to be able to get off the bike and have a beer somewhere. Yeah, I think 100K days are pretty good on the on a bike tour. There's no point killing yourself. Like, what's what's your elevation gain? That plays a big mm-hmm. part. For me, I, I I like 120, but that's a pretty flat country. You're you're not in Norway. You're not in Switzerland when you're mm-hmm. doing that. That's that's Sweden or Germany. Yeah. You know, you've got good roads. You're... And not not 38 degrees like Cambodia or something like that. That's... Yeah. No, that's what hit us this summer in Sweden was, was we were at 35, 36 degrees Celsius and you're just, you know, you're at 50K and you're just like, oh man, what are we doing? Like, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. This, when I was with this guy, Nikolai, when we were biking into Switzerland, it was hot. You know, it was same thing, 34, 35 degrees. And we were somewhere in, it was, I can't remember if we were in France and Germany because along the Rhine for a while there, they it switches quite a bit. And we went into this gas station in the morning and we're like, oh, could you fill up our water bottles? And the woman's like, no. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> so we went in and then we're like, oh, the bathrooms are unlocked. And we went in and they had a big grate in the floor. So we both just hot water in the, holding the, the water bottles over each other's heads and just completely had like dug, because I had a bit of shampoo in my bag because I, I use shampoo as my mm-hmm. like dish soap and clothing soap. Okay. And- Everything. This is one, you know, you can buy it cheap somewhere and then you just take that with you and for your dishes done in shampoo or dishes and laundry soap and whatever. So we're just shampoo in this bathroom and took our water and left. And if she had just filled up our water bottles, we would have been in and out in three minutes and never ruined their bathroom. But fair enough. You get what you get. Uh, we had yeah, same, yeah. similar in Cambodia, you have to buy water, but a lot of the gas stations, they have these big blue jugs and generally they don't care if you fill up with your water. They see you're a bike tourist and it's such an unusual thing. Um, we had one gas station say no. And we're like, okay. And we walked, rode to the next one. The guy's like, yeah, sure. And he's like, there's hammocks there if you want to have a nap. It was hot. Oh, nice. It was like 12 o'clock, 11, 11 something in the morning. We're like, Psh, out. Perfect day. Yeah, it's funny. You, you meet some people who are like the most wonderful people in the world. You meet other people that are just, I, I still remember like two different campgrounds. And, you know, Europe, Central Europe, you end up staying at campgrounds a lot. Like you try to stealth camp in that, but it's a lot of times you're like, I mean, I, I once paid seven euros to, to stay in a campground that had a beer garden, two euros a beer on, on the Rhine with my tent was 
like literally on the Rhine. I could go swimming from rocks right from my okay. tent and there was a castle. So my, I had my tent set up. So I opened my tent door and there was a castle and that was seven euros. So sometimes, and then, you know, free showers and you're like, yeah. that's seven euros. Well, spent. other times you pay 30 euros and you get nothing. But, um, I stayed in this one campground. I hadn't washed my clothes. I think it was like 10 days, right? It was to the point where even, even my town clothes, you know, I, I've got, two t-shirts you know like a merino wool shirt you know as my long sleeve shirt for cycling in the summer that i'll take is like my my nice clothes for going to town and a pair of tear-off pants like zip away pants or something and, and everything was just stank and my my towel stood by itself and, and so I, I was like do you guys do laundry and the woman's like yeah yeah i was like okay so it's like a three liter ziploc of clothes right 18 euros she charged me 18 euros to do my laundry and i was just like why would you do that? Like, like you money hungry bitch. Why, why would you charge someone 18 euros to wash like a small amount of clothes? Yeah. But like a week later I was in the Netherlands. I stayed in this little, like basically it was a farmyard where they, they had a few tents set up and I came in and I was just, ew, it was cold. It'd been raining for a week. I was, I was fucked. I was just like ready to quit the trip. I, this is after I said goodbye to my dad and I'd ridden for a week in the rain or he and I had ridden for a little bit because it wasn't a week to get across the house. But anyway, I got to this campground. Everything is soaked. Like my rain jacket, I brought a rain jacket with me and it just it just wasn't working. It failed. I'm soaked and everything I own is soaked. And I've got a dry sleeping bag and that's it. Like no warm clothes, nothing. And I, I'm standing there. I'm just dripping and I just look desperate. And this woman's like, would, would you like to come into the house and have a bowl of soup? And I was like, she couldn't see my tears because of the rain, but I was like, that'd be great. And I had this bowl of soup and it was just like, it was just soup. It was nothing special. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I can do this trip. And then she's like, look, we've got a barn. You can, you can dry out all of your stuff in the barn. Let me help you. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and then I was, you know, cooked my dinner in my tent because I have a tent with a nice big vestibule. Climbed in my dry sleeping bag, you know, had a whatever I had my towel around me to go get my dry clothes in the morning and put on dry clothes. And I was just like, you know, the sun came out and I was like, I can do this. And it's just that difference. Like that people can have on you. And then you rode to the train station and took the train back to Sweden. <laughs> no, no, that was a <laughs> different trip. This was the first this where I was three, I was oh, about okay. a week away from this place in Germany. And after that, it barely rained at all. The weather changed entirely. It was gorgeous. Nice. So you've been hitting a couple 10,000 kilometer years. Has it, is, did you manage it this last year? I remember you were you had some posts in the fall. I've done uh, 10, 10, and 11 last year. 12. I did 12,000. No, sorry. Last year was 11. My goal was 12,000 for last year. So once I started doing the veteran more seriously, and then so that year I did 10,000. Norway, I did 10,000. Or sorry, Norway was my first 10,000 year. Then the year after that, I did 10,000. And then I was thinking for last year that I should up the challenge and go for 12,000 and uh, had a great, it was a great summer or it was a, a hot summer here, too hot probably. My wife and I put in a five or 600K bike tour together. Where'd you guys as go? As well. We went to, we biked across Sweden to Öland, which is a narrow sandy island. Yeah. Uh, south of Goland. It's not as famous, but it's quite nice. Okay. We ended up having to bail on it because it was too hot. It was like 35, 36 degrees Celsius every day. And you're on like, a, it was like a desert island with no trees. It was crazy bailing on a bike tour in Sweden because of the heat. <clears throat> kind of oxymoronic. Yeah, you really, really wouldn't expect it. But uh, we managed, I think, about 560 or 570. We're doing about 75K a day, which for her is a good day. 
I was carrying most of the gear to keep me happy. Took the dog. <clears throat> and uh, to go gear, yeah, right? And then we came back. Yeah, Gogs. Came back from that. She was in a, we put a bike basket on the back of my wife's bike. So the dog sat in the basket and uh, I carried all the, I had front and rear panniers on a touring bike that I picked up. And, um, or it leaves, of course. Um, but we came back from that and we found out that she was pregnant. So she had done that bike tour, uh, three weeks pregnant, which is pretty good. 75 K and 35 degrees Celsius. So I, I managed 11,000. 12,000 uh, this year? No, no. This year I've done nothing. I trained for the Everest challenge, but that was mostly working my ass off to get 12K because that's the, the length of Alpe d'Huez. Yeah, yeah. And so I did a lot of nights, you know, like on the floor afterwards, almost retching after a 12K ride. So I've only done, I think, maybe 1,000K this year because I went out two weeks after the Everest challenge and did a 150 K gravel race. And I thought, Oh, you know, I'm in okay shape. I can ride with the big boys. And you know, these are some junior pros were out and there's five or six guys that are ex pro riders. And I thought I could stay with them. And it was, uh, about 2000 meters elevation gain, hundred percent gravel on my road bike. And I stayed with them for the first 40 K and then I got dropped by the Peloton. I could see them for a bit more, maybe 10K after that. And then I just fell apart, met up with one of my friends, and I ended up having to bail. Picked up a lung infection from that. So I've been off work for two and a half weeks. Oh, wow. So I'm just back at work now. So I've, I've been on the bike. I've literally ridden outside once this year, and that was it. That was that race. <laughs> it's a different thing. Usually yeah. you're mountain well, biking, road biking, everything biking. No, I'll be back on the bike now, but I'm just I'm just clearing the infection. Now, so, an Everest challenge. I was really event specific. I, I just stayed on the indoor trainer, only doing Alpe d'Huez, you know, interval training and and speed training mm-hmm. and that. But really, really event specific, and it paid off. I was in really good shape for the event. Cool. Um, I remember that you trained and completed the, a bike race from Trondheim to Oslo as well in Norway. Sorry, as um, and also did the Everest challenge the last two years in a row. Tell us more about these races. Yeah, so um, when I came to Sweden, you know, I'd, I'd been doing bike touring for a couple of years. And in Sweden, the the big event is called the Veterundan. And it's a 300k race or 300k uh, event. It's not actually a race. It's around a lake, around right? The second largest lake in Sweden, mm. the Vetern. So it's just the, it just means around the Vetern, Veterundan. Pretty creative science. Uh, so it's it's an event that has, I think it's the largest cyclosportif in the world, but because it's not called a cyclosportif, nobody but Sweden knows about it. Um, but I think every year it's about twenty four to twenty five thousand cyclists take Damn, part in it. That's a lot, yeah. And <clears throat> you see people from I've seen a guy on a Brompton. I saw a dude on one of those like kids kick bikes, like a kick scooter. Oh wow! And I saw him under two hundred, and he was smiling. So I figure he was high. <laughs> Because I can't imagine doing a kick bike, but a lot of people do it on like three-speed town bikes or... That's your equivalent to the guy uh, running the marathon barefoot in Southeast Asia yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in Sweden, it's sort of your your test of manhood. So everyone was like, hey, have you done the veteran yet? And I was like, no. So I went and did it. So my first year I did that and it was... Um, I trained a bit. I, I trained about 2,000K in the spring and then I went out and I rode it solo and I did it in about 12 hours, which... 
11 and a half hours, which was okay. I was happy enough with it. Um, <clears throat> but that time I was just on the road bike and I really, you know, I was, I went out, I was going out for rides and doing 26 kilometers an hour for an hour and being like, Oh, this is really great. Look at me. I'm super fast. And, uh, you know, the more you start road biking, the more you start meeting people and, and going from wearing running clothes to getting the proper gear. And so the second year I did it, um, I took it more seriously and I went up with some more serious guys. I did it in uh, nine and a half hours, which was pretty good. But in Sweden, what happens is people get more and more competitive with this race and they start doing it with big cycling clubs. And, you know, it's just about shaving off 20 minutes every year. And right. It's and there are people that do it every year, right? Oh, yeah. There's guys who have done it. It started in the 50s. And there's, I was there for its 50th anniversary. And there was like 20 guys still who had done every year. And these are guys in their 80s. And it's incredible. But I didn't really just want to keep doing the same race. So my best friend from Canada that I ended up, I started going overseas with. We moved to Korea together and a lot of adventures there. He's a hardcore cyclist as well. Or he was. He uh, was diagnosed with cancer. So he started to get sick. And uh, so, you know, I was talking to him and I was like, hey, I found out about this race in Norway. It's 550K. So when you when you get better from this shit, we're doing this together. And he was like, yeah, man, that's, you know, that's a goal. That's a real goal for me to have. Yeah. And then things accelerated and they got really bad really fast. And by Christmas, he was he was gone. And uh, he was 37. And just, you know, oh, like young. he was posting rides on Strava in, in August and September. And you could, you know, I was, that was my way of checking on how he was doing was, was seeing his heart rate on Strava and being like, oh man, he's doing some, some good rides. Like he's doing all right. Yeah. Like, you know, he's out on his mountain bike, North Shore mountain biking for, for three hours. Shit, dude's got to be okay. And then, you know, that was, that was September. He was still riding and then Christmas he was gone. So I, uh, I decided to do the, it's called the Strika Proven or the great test of strength. I decided to do that um, in his memory because I was, I was fucked. I really didn't cope well with his death. Mm -hmm. Um, so that gave me something to, to focus on. So pretty much any moment I wasn't working, I was on my bike training and that, that helped me get through it. You did that and that was 2016, was it? I feel like it was just after I left Sweden. Yeah, that would have been 2016. I don't know. I don't know what the year is anymore, man. It was about three years ago. Okay. It was That's... 17, 18. Yeah, yeah. 16 sounds right. Okay. And we, so I convinced a friend to do it with me somehow, a couple of beers. And uh, we managed, so it was 540K. You start at about, what did we start at? Six o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. And, you know, it's Norway. So it's, it's June and it's cold, five degrees Celsius, <clears throat> wet. Yeah. And it starts with a thousand meter climb. It's a 1% elevation climb. So it takes 100K. And you just slowly grind up. And then you get into this Arctic. And you wouldn't think that's much, but I think after 100K, you're like, I'm tired of uphill. Yeah, because you just, you just, you never, you can't coast, right? You just have to be pedaling. There's no like, you draft and you just drop back. And then you get up to this Arctic plateau and there's still snow up there. And it's like minus two. And, it's crazy because it's about a 60 or 70 meter, 70 kilometer to get across this plateau. And it's, it's winter and it's, it wasn't too bad. We weren't, we weren't getting hit by snow, but there was snow up there. And then you drop down the far side and it's gorgeous. And you're into the fjord or not the fjords, but the lakes that come up from Oslo to yeah. towards Lily. And it's, it's gorgeous terrain. And you're just through this like 
Norway is just an incredibly beautiful country. And you go through a town called Dumbass, which was great. Yeah, and there's a ton <laughs> of hell outside Trondheim as well. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Chocks Fat Bike, the Katadin Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA250 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll get a $250 credit from Quebec-based manufacturer Atwater Atelier, so you can put some new bags on that sweet new adventure machine. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's just outside of Trondheim, which was too bad because I didn't want to go to hell. I've been there. Uh, but we did end up biking. <laughs> we, we pretty much biked through hell. Because at, at 300K, you're like, okay, I've been on the bike for, I don't know, we were 11 hours or something. And you're like, okay, we still have 240K to ride. Like, That's oh, nice. shit, what are we doing? And uh, my buddy was, he hadn't put in as much training and he was starting to really feel it. And, you know, I was leading a lot. And both, where were we? About 400K. We knew there were a couple of guys from Halmstad that were starting behind us. So, uh, he convinced me to take a longer rest stop. We had my my girlfriend at the time, was now my wife, and my dad were driving a support vehicle for us. Oh, okay. So they were they were leapfrogging us and, and meeting us, and it was great because the first rest stop we went into, you know, it was all cyclists, and and my my girlfriend, and my dad are like, oh, could you could you get us some food? Because uh, you know they're not in cycling gear, and by the last rest stop, they'd be sitting there munching away on food. <laughs> like it became this like rolling community, and, and nobody cared. And so we waited for these guys from Helmstad and we, we picked them up. They were about 20 minutes behind us, I think. And they had some Dutch guys that they'd picked up. And uh, we started out and they're, they're, one of them was doing pretty well. And I was feeling pretty good. And, and my buddy, Philip, was was all right. And then there was, there was four guys from Helmstad. And so one guy was okay, was, was feeling pretty strong. One guy was okay. The other two were weak. And then there was these two good Dutch guys and they were both pretty rough and so we were riding with them and it's, you know, it's, it's Norway in the summer. So it gets, it only gets dark once you're like into after midnight. Yeah. And it's only for yeah, been a on short time. For, we've been on the bikes for about 17, 18 hours at this point. And my stomach started to shut down. I couldn't really eat anymore. And at the rest stops they had, you know, you're thinking they're going to have like buns and, and rolls and, and ham sandwiches. And they had these, like, it was like a Big Mac made of rye bread. So it was like three, it was like a, a dry, thick rye bread and then like a hamburger patty, but like a thick, dry hamburger patty. And then another piece of bread with nothing on it. And then like pate, like a thick yeah. layer, like an inch layer of pate and then another like heavy layer of bread. So it was like, like one sandwich is like a kilo and a half. That's gross. You just, you just, it just reached a point like, you know, we couldn't eat the bars anymore, you know, the sugars and stuff. And yeah. So, but we're, we're riding with these guys and, and it's starting to be this one Swedish guy, Bjorn, 
and Philip and me switching off in the lead and Philip's getting, he's getting tough. You know, it's, we've now we're at, we're at about kilometer 490 and he's starting to feel it. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm still probably the strongest guy in the group, but I mean, not that strong. And then this rain hits. We're 40 K from Oslo and it's five degrees Celsius according to my GPS. And it, this heavy rain hits. And so you're, Philip rides up to me and he's like, dude, you know, we've, we've been with these guys for a long time and I know it's supposed to be camaraderie, but I think we, I just got to go. It's either that or I quit. And I'm like, yeah, man, fuck him. Let's go. He's like, <laughs> Oh, I practiced that speech for like half an hour. I, I thought you were going to be, I'm like, no, let's go, man. Let's. So we sprint off towards Oslo and you know, we finally make it through the city and you see people lined up to go into nightclubs and you're still on the bike and, and we get into the gymnasium in Oslo and it's just like when we looked back at our GPS, our, our GPS data, even though we averaged 30K an hour for the whole race, 17 and a half hours. That's impressive. Yeah. It was mad. But that last sprint when we left those guys, we were sprinting at 26K an hour because we were just so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like they were doing like 20 at that point. Okay. Yeah, we got into to Oslo and um, we meet Dave's brother and – and we're wearing these Team Dave uniforms that we were sponsored by a sponsor. And, I remember, and he yeah. comes running up and he and Philip had no idea that Dave's brother was gonna be there. So this guy comes running up and just hugs him and is bawling tears. And Philip is like, Wow, Norwegians are really emotional. <laughs> Cause he thought that was just like part Some of random the dude, right? <laughs> He's just like, What the okay, wow. Norwegian. Dan, Dave's brother Andrew is just in tears and he's like, Oh my god, thank you. This means so much. And Philip's like, Yeah, man, yeah. This is good. And then I'm like, that's Dave's brother. He's like, Oh, okay, that explains <laughs> everything. Awesome. So, so I'm sitting in the shower at the end of this event, like with my third recovery drink, just like hypothermic on, on the floor, holding this drink, just shaking. And this Norwegian guy comes up and goes, Oh, so you're coming back next year. I'm like, no, man, no, I'm never fucking coming back. I'm done. That's the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. He's like, I'll see you next year. I'm like, right, yeah, but see you, Bjorn. <laughs> Good luck. So, um, so I take it that the Norway ride was uh, tougher than the Everest Challenge. I mean, the Everest Challenge was you're, you're sitting on an indoor bike. You're you're on the trainer. You're you know, you've done the math. I, you know, I, I trained, I, as I said, I did the Optuez 24 times in training. So you, you've got your watts right in front of you. You've got your heart rate. You're you're at 10% elevation and you're just grinding. You, I was doing two, I was, my goal was 210 watts nonstop for, for that time. And so you start a little bit hard and, but you just, you just, you just have a number and you're looking at your heart rate and your heart rate's going up and you're like, no, it's got to be between. So I was going between 150 and 160. So it was like, just, just doing a math equation yeah, and just paying attention to your body and just, whereas Norway was just, you know, I think we did 4,800 meters of climbing in, in 540 K. Like it, it goes beyond endurance. You just like, you're on the bike we're, we're, it took us 20 hours total, but we were on the bikes for 17 yeah. hours and 40 minutes or something. And that was a good time. I mean, the winner did it in like 1350 or something ridiculous, but damn. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I cycled that Northern Thailand. It was, I was, had a couple days where it was 3,400, 600, something like that meters of elevation climbed over a hundred, 
120 kilometers. Brutal. Just. Man, those are tough days. This, none of the climbs were steep. This didn't have anything that was like, uh, like, as I said, the first climb was like one to 2%. Yeah. And there were some hills, but there wasn't anything steep. You're on the old highway. But yeah, just the hardest thing on that was just keeping your body functioning because your body is just like, dude, like, I can't eat anymore. Yeah. I think I burned 12,000 calories or something ridiculous. Like, the, that last 100K, my body was just like, I, I'm out. And I was like, okay, I'm going to run on reserves. You know, you're like, I can push 40K. And then you're like, I don't have any reserves. Yeah. Like, my, my reserves left, were left back in dumbass a kilometer 200. Like, yeah, you see a sign saying dumbass. That's when you need to pull over and be like, right, that's me. This is where, I, this is my hometown. I'm moving in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and part of doing it with a friend, like, and we had the rule, you know, our, our rule when we were running before we did the race was if the other person tells you to eat, you eat a bar, no matter what. And if not, the whole race is over. We both stop and get off the bikes. Okay. Because <clears throat> you, you've got to be eating and, and you can't rely on your own sense of, you can't trust yourself with that many miles. I remember doing an adventure race in the um, Ottawa area and we had our watches set to beep. I forget what the timer was. Every 20 minutes was to take electrolytes and every hour yeah. we had another alarm going off and that was to take food and that was just the way it was. Yeah. It was yeah. Oh, you, you've got to because like you think, I went out for a group ride uh, just after Christmas break and we're, you know, it was one of my first group rides in a while. So I grab all my stuff and get out there and realize I don't have any bars or any food with me at all. And I was like, okay, but, you know, usually we do about 60K, hit a cafe, ride the last 40K back home. And so we're going out and I know the region here pretty well. So we're going out and I'm like, okay, so we're going to this cafe in this village. And the guys are like, no, this, now that there's this new cycling cafe in town, we're, we start and finish there and we're not stopping en route. And this is like 50K and I'm like, oh shit, how far can you go on a bowl of granola? Like, yeah. <laughs> and that last 15K into town, I was just, I just took, you know, sat on the back, just hating life entirely. Cause you just can't go that far yeah. without eating. Like, yeah, you, you just, need it. You just, your body just can't store it. So, um, how was the Everest challenge? Uh, it was good. I mean, it was. Uh, don't ever do an Everest challenge in a bakery would be my advice. Um, <laughs> was, let's say there was some chafing by the end. <laughs> but they free food, no? Yeah, free food, definitely. But also like warm. And oh, yeah, not, it would be pretty hot. War, it was warm, really warm. So you're sweating a lot. And why, why were you guys good. We, um, why were you in a bakery? In a bakery? There's a new cycling cafe in Homestead. So oh, was, okay. Yeah, to get all the foot traffic in for it. Yeah, yeah. So I um I got in touch with my my smart trainer broke, <clears throat> and uh, I was like, son of a bitch, I need my smart trainer fixed. So I got in touch with customer service at Beekle, and I was like, hey, I need my fucking smart trainer fixed like as soon as you can. And the guy was like, yeah, 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 we'll send a guy to pick it up. And then um, I had to work that day, so I was like, look, can we change the address? And the guy was really helpful. After, you know, emailing back and forth five or six times, the guy was like, hey, by the way, I'm doing this event. And last year I did the same event. And, and we actually ended up like people were like, oh, what the fuck is a smart trainer? That's really cool. I'm going to go buy one. 
And uh, so he would put me in charge of somebody in marketing. And they were like, yeah, we're totally interested in uh, sponsoring your event. Nice. They sent me five turbo trainers. It was total about 25,000 crowns in prizes. And they sent a guy. And so he came in and uh, was there for the day. And he was like super pro. He used to work personally for Jan Ulrich back in the oh, day. Wow. Yeah, so he's like super connected in the cycling world. Um, uh, he's friends with Ernesto Colnago. Okay. So like connected guy, and he was super cool. He he helped out with the event, made me feel like it was a pretty big time event, which it really wasn't. But we ended up with, um, I think, on a regular Saturday, the coffee shop sees about a hundred customers. We saw about two hundred and fifty people through the door. And we had, so we had Trek sponsored us as well. Um, and then a bunch of local companies and we had about 32,000 crowns in prizes available and we did a big raffle. Nice. And Elaine was there in cycling gear, pregnant. And she was she kind was of like, running the raffle, wasn't she? Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's other people doing it, but my cycling club came in and she basically mugged the guys. I'm not kidding. She got about 4,000 crown in tickets out of like the last four guys out the door. Oh, wow. It was brilliant. But they sold, how much did they sell again? I think they sold 25,000 crowns in raffle tickets or something during the day. Like it was just mad. So we ended up making 54,000 crowns. Nice. And that's, that was pretty much the goal, right? You guys were, your goal was like 40,000, wasn't it? 50,000 was the goal. So 10% above the goal. Nice. Yeah, so it was super, super successful. It was a fun day. And this was, was uh, this was a fundraiser for a friend of yours or somebody I, you knew I, through. She has a chronic illness. Um, it's a, called a mast cell disease, which is like a, it's basically she has allergies to her own body. And she reacts like she has, she goes through EpiPens like two or three a day. Oh, and they're not cheap. No. Well, I mean, in Sweden, they're not expensive, but the fact that she's having anaphylactic shock to the point that if she doesn't use an EpiPen, she'll die yeah. a couple of times a day. You know, like kids we teach, you know, they carry EpiPens around with them and they might use an EpiPen two or three times a year. Yeah. And she's using them like daily. Jesus. Yeah. yeah and the, the city won't help her out because she doesn't have a diagnosis. So they just see her as being like an oddball. So she only has, she only had 50% home care. Because of the event, we got in a bunch of local newspapers, and I did a radio interview in Swedish, which was terrible. Oh, I man. saw I saw you posted about that. I just I didn't listen. Yeah, to I butchered it terribly. She didn't give me any prep time. She's just like, you know, she's a radio host, so she speaks for like five minutes and then asks you a question in response to that, and you're like, ah, well, ah, <laughs> it was pretty savagely bad. A lot of my students heard it, like they they found out about it, and so they went and played it on their phones and stuff, and were laughing, but. That's cool, though. At least you can kind of get by in Swedish now. So, yeah, and and you know, as a, I think it's good as a language teacher for them to see me struggle and still be wa- willing to throw my neck out there. Mm-hmm. It makes them more confident. But yeah, the event. Uh, sorry, yeah. So Linda's disease. She um, basically she, and it's getting worse. She's reacting more. For example, their washing machine just broke, and she can't wear clean clothes right now. Oh crap. Because the chemicals not in the washing detergent she uses, but in the machine itself, the new machine has chemicals in it that she reacts to. Okay. And just like all of these little things. So she's going to Germany to, to get these tests. It's the only place in Europe that does the tests for the disease. 
And because she's not diagnosed in Sweden, they can't just, it just doesn't cover across Europe, right? Otherwise it would cover. Yeah. And I don't know, they might even get, I don't think they'll get reimbursed, but she'll then get a lot more healthcare. But even with the newspaper article, the, she was contacted by the the commune and like two days after the newspaper, like, yeah, we're going to give you a hundred percent coverage now, like home care coverage because she only had 50% home okay. care coverage. So her, her husband would be at work and she would have like, he's the vice principal at our school and she'd have an attack or something and he'd be in the middle of a meeting and, and get like a emergency beacon on his phone and be like, fuck, I got to go home. Right. And bust it. No one would be there and she'd be having like an anaphylactic shock by herself. Um, so now she has, uh, she calls them babysitters and she'll have a babysitter a hundred percent of the time. But the, the commune calls her the two days after the newspaper where their story is in the, in the main newspaper. And they're like, yeah, we'd already made this decision, but it takes us a while to get the news out. Yeah, but I didn't actually bother finishing the Everest challenge. I put in a lot of training. I climbed Alp Duez 24 times in training, I think. Ugh. That's a thousand is that, meters. Is that because I, that that route is the high, hardest one on the trainer pro? or? Well, because I started on Zwift, and Zwift is using... Um, they have Alp Duez, so it's the longest route on Zwift. Okay. But Google has their own simulator, which they wanted me to use, obviously, since they were sponsoring us. And they have basically infinite different terrain. It's not as competitive as Zwift. There's not as many people on it, but okay. you have a lot more places to ride. But the good thing about Alp Duez is it's just over 1,000 meters, and it's a constant 10% incline. So it's really efficient. Yikes. But man, you just grind and grind. And on Zwift, I was going to be going up and down and up and down, but with which is true Everesting. But with Be Cool, I ended up just climbing to try and save time. So I just climbed for eight hours at 10%, which is <laughs> kind of cold. At 6 p.m., the no one was coming into the coffee shop anymore. We'd raised 50,000 crowns. I had just finished my seventh lap, I think. So I was at 6,900 meters. And I was like, okay, we're good. Like, I, that still leaves you like 1,600 meters to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something like was, that, right? another lap and, lap and three quarters, but there was all the staff in the coffee shop that were still there hanging out waiting for me to finish. And everyone's like, you know, you can do the whole thing. And I was like, I could, but we raised the money and nobody else is coming in. And, you know. And why am I torturing myself? Yeah. Who actually cares if I actually climb Mount Everest? Like the whole goal was to raise 50,000 crowns. At that point, we had like 49,000 crowns and there's no more customers. So that's insane. You know, I was just like, that's good enough. I don't, I don't need it from the, the ego. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you did, um, you did the Everest challenge a year before that as well, right? Year before. Yeah. I failed considerably more the year before we were raising money for a guy <laughs> in Nepal my wife went to school in the States with a guy from Nepal and his dad needed a pacemaker. So we raised about 40,000 crowns that year. We did it at Trek. Okay. And we used the school. So we had a lot of students out this year. We didn't use the school because it was sort of a clash of like a conflict of interest because mm. you can't really be like raising money for the vice principal. Oh, come out and pay the vice principal money. Right. Um, before we go, I want to ask you if you could go on the road for a tour, where would you go? Why would you decide to go there? Well, I've been to Slovenia, but I haven't finished the former Yugoslav republics. And my sister and I have had an ongoing race through life to see who can go to the most countries. Okay. And that would be a great way to get ahead because you could kill eight countries in about, about 10 days. But also, man, I'll tell you, from Slovenia, 
brilliant country, brilliant people, amazing, just gorgeous mountains, at least as beautiful as South Korea. Okay. And just completely mountainous country and so much to explore and so many different cultures and so many different languages all in one tight little corner of the world. That'd be amazing. And not many people go there because it's, I mean, people go to Croatia to the beaches. Yeah, the Balkans are not as traveled, are they? No, people still think it's it's fucked and it's not. So that would be my first, you know, if I have two weeks, let's say I would grab a bike and head there without even thinking about it. If I had more time, I mean, we've got a kid coming in a month, so I'm not going to be doing this trip for a while. But I would hit the Astans, you know, start in Georgia and just mm -hmm. go east. Let me know when that one comes up. I'll, uh, I'll join you. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a couple of years from now. But man, that that would be the ride. You know, that's the ride of a lifetime to do that and just do you know those epic alpine passes yeah. and the big mountains and you know two months and just and not even not be riding across Asia. I don't need. I don't want to ride to China or do that. I just want to do like real backcountry, mm -hmm. you know, big gravel bike, good tires. Yeah. Wouldn't be a tour for Brompton. No, this is more of the bike packing setup that you'd want yeah, for yeah. that kind real, of thing. Real bike packing, real self-supported. Yeah. So I've always dreamed about the Himalayas and the, the Karakoram and being able to bike in that part of the world. Going to Pakistan, you know, it's 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 uh, backcountry of Pakistan isn't the safest place right now with the the American drone strikes and all that shit. <clears throat> We're not the most popular people in the world, and it's hard to explain. I'm Irish Canadian, but you know, if you got up into the north and into the Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, and I'm making that one up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd like to end this show by thanking Finn for taking the time to sit with me and doing this podcast. If cycle touring is something you've been considering, I think it's important to understand that a cycle tour doesn't have to go on for years at a time, but that you can tailor it to whatever you feel suits your needs. Thanks, Finn. No problems, Chris. Great chat, and let's catch up again soon. Bye, buddy. Bye, man. In our next episode, you're going to meet Pablo and Guillaume, two French guys that bike toured from France to Southeast Asia on a tandem bike. Learn all about how their trip almost had to be cancelled and how through some fortunate funding they were able to keep it going. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>